Good morning, Chapel Hill. I'm Pastor Bill. It's good to see all of you here this morning. We are better together. Amen? Great to see everyone here together and Celebrate Recovery. We like to call ourselves the forever family. And you feel that when you come to Celebrate Recovery. It feels like a, a, a very uh, a, a grace-filled, authentic community where you can just be yourself, whatever your hurt, habit, and hang-up is. I'm so proud of our team today. It's such an honor to be with you and to be leading worship today and having our care, community care and support team leading worship. They've just done a great job, haven't they? Awesome. Well, I, I grew up in Northern California. Uh, my wife, Jennifer, grew up just a little bit east of there. So I've been through those redwoods a number of times. How many of you have been to those redwoods, taking, taking a drive down? You can actually drive a car through some of those redwoods. They are so huge and so old, hundreds of years old, some of them. But the amazing thing is what they shared on the video is, is the interconnection of the roots of redwoods. You'd think with trees that are that tall, those roots would just go down hundreds and hundreds of feet in the soil. But that's not the case. They go out, and they're interconnected with one another. That's amazing. That's what gives them their strength. When they're alone growing, uh, you know, they're not as strong. We try, we, Jenny and I tried to, to grow some redwoods up in Northern California on our own, and we spaced them way apart from each other in hot, hot area dry. It didn't work. Don't try to grow, you know, it's hard to grow redwoods if you're not on the coast and with other redwoods. So that's important for you to know. This morning, we're going to think about that interconnectedness of relationship today. We're actually saying arrivederci to Rome as we look at the last chapter in Rome. I I learned that word when I was very young. My dad loved to say arrivederci. I thought we were Italian growing up. He... He grew up in an Italian community, and he loved, he loved Italy. The only time he'd been there is in the war, World War II. But he had a great time. Not everyone has a hard time in the war. But uh, we're saying arrivederci. And the, the church in Rome, chapter 16, Paul makes a special point of greeting what, what scholars think, or maybe every person who's in the church at Rome, Paul spends way more time in chapter 16 greeting people, both those he knew and those he didn't know, in a place he'd never been before. And you've kind of got to wonder, wow, why is Paul spending so much time greeting each one of these people? Well, if you think about what Rome was back in the time when Paul was writing Romans, around 57 AD, scholars think that Rome was about uh, 800,000 to 1.2 million uh, it was uh, a, a crazy place, a chaotic place. If you were close to the seat of power, of course, it was exceedingly more power, more dangerous. And a lot of these people that actually Paul mentions were slaves and were servants in households of people of power. And so we're going to get to know who some of these people are here this morning. In AD 64, if you can imagine this, if Paul wrote the letter to Romans in 57 AD... And Nero was in power. And only seven years later, in 64 AD, Rome was on fire. And Nero accused the Christians of setting Rome on fire, therefore unleashing a terror, a terror reign against Christians. That group must have been way bigger than this little group that Paul was addressing here in Romans 16. They must have grown enormously in in a short span of seven years. Because why would an emperor... Of, a, of, of an empire as large as Rome 
be so threatened by such a small group of religious zealots? Well, that's what I want to look at, and that's what I was fascinated by this week as I explored who some of these people were. So let's, let's look at them. Romans 16, 1 through 7. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sincrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way that's worthy of the saints and to give her any help that she may need from you. For she has been a great help to many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risk their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their home. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my relatives, who've been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this Hebrews reminds us that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, and those that were in the early church at Rome are part of that great cloud. Father, help us to get to know these people a little bit and the amazing faith and power and courage that they had as some of the first believers in that great city. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first person on that list is is, uh, Phoebe, somebody that Larry had talked about a little bit last week. Phoebe was from a church in Sincrea, which is about six miles from Corinth. That's where Paul was when he wrote the letter. Now, Phoebe must, must have been quite a servant, quite a faithful, gifted person, because Paul commissioned her to take that letter from Corinth to Rome and have that read to the body there in Rome. Paul says that she was a servant. She is worthy of all of your help, so treat her well. They had to write letters of commendation as people traveled in, 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 ancient, in ancient times so that they would have hospitality. And Phoebe was one of those folks that was, was worthy of her salt. So Paul says, take good care of her. Uh, she was also a patron. She, uh, the, the words in Greek indicate that she was a, a financial supporter of Paul's ministry and those who were going out to plant churches and uh, to do the ministry. So we know that we need patrons in the church, don't we? For the church to thrive and to grow, we need people that are going to come alongside and support the church. And that's uh, one of the amazing things that I learned here when I came to Chapel Hill was the tremendous base of support this church had received, not only for support here in the community, but also missions around the world. And we rely on that. Churches can't flourish without financial support. The next one on this list are Priscilla and Aquila. And those of you that are Bible scholars, Bereans, you know from the book of Corinthians that Priscilla and Aquila partnered with Paul to make a difference in that church. Paul calls them my fellow workers. And he uses a term here. The term is synergos. What does that sound like to you from English? Synergy, right? My fellow workers, synergos. There was great synergy that that was developed, that was generated from Paul's relationship with Aquila and Priscilla. They were very hospitable. They had a church in their home. They were very gifted in ministry. They were so gifted, in fact, that Paul took them with him to the next church where he went, which was Ephesus. 
And if you know a little bit of your church history from Acts 18 and 19, you know that Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, and he was in Ephesus for three years, and he invited Aquila and Priscilla to be with him in those two places. So they were very gifted, and there was a synergy that was developed when they did ministry together. That's part of the reason I love being part of community care and support. There's a synergy that happens when we're doing ministry together, when we worship together, when we hear one another's testimony. You know, I have the, the, the blessing and the privilege of being the pastor of community care and support. At Celebrate Recovery, one of the ministries under that umbrella, every other week we hear somebody stand up and give a 20-minute testimony of their life. And this is amazing because it's not like they've uh, just practiced this little story for, you know, taking a few minutes to put this together. No, this is after they've been through Celebrate Recovery. This is after they've been through step studies and God has done a work of transformation in them. And so you hear where they've come from and where they are now and where God is taking them. And it, it just builds you up. There's a synergy that's created when you hear other people's life-transforming story. It's powerful. We had another example of synergy earlier this week. We prayed for our brother, Paul Wimber. A lot of you know Paul Wimber. Paul and Diana have been members here, leaders here in this church for many years, since the 90s. Paul was in surgery on Monday. And he had lost a lot of weight. He had some intestinal things that he needs straightened out. And uh, the surgery seemed to go well, but in post-op, as they were trying to get the, the pain management taken care of, his blood pressure dropped very fast. And Diana was concerned because when she looked in his eyes, those were, it was the same look in his face that she saw in her father, who had passed away two months ago. And so she was really worried. And she, no, she, she told the nurses, told the doctors, that they all thought things were going okay. She said, we're losing him. And sure enough, his blood pressure was dropping. She got on her cell phone and she started texting. She started emailing. And pretty soon, people at the, at the golf course and the tournament were made aware of Paul's situation. They began to pray. Larry and Megan came over. We came over because they're part of our life group. And there was this synergy. There was this energy. We walked in and they had called the code blue. There were so many doctors and nurses in that room. It was amazing. But in the span of about 20 minutes... When everyone was hustling around that room trying to, get, trying to get Paul's blood pressure back up to the time they moved him over to ICU, which he wasn't in, he went from on the verge of being with Jesus to back, having conversation with the rest of us. Life seemed to be good. He was laughing. We were praying together. Synergy. There was a synergy happen. Happening. Now you can say, well, it was all the doctors, well, it was prayer, it was, but it was a lot of things working together for good. And let me tell you, it blessed Paul when he kind of came out of that stupor to see around his bed a lot of the brothers and sisters here from this church who loved him and were praying for him. And that gave him strength and that gave him hope. That synergy, my fellow workers, interconnectedness of relationship. There's nothing that can replace that. And in Celebrate Recovery, we are blessed to see people who often come in who are broken and alone to being transformed through community, through interconnectedness of relationship, and that brings healing and restoration. Those are the kind of people that Paul relied on. 
people like Priscilla and Aquila, he loved those kind of people. He said about them, he said, they risked their lives for me. You know, two people that will risk their life for you are worth more than 200 that really are sort of on the, on the fringes. We all aware of that? Yeah. The next one on the list is my dear friend Eponidas. The word is akapetos. It literally means beloved one. He was the first convert in Asia. Can you imagine being the first Christian convert in Turkey 2,000 years ago? I mean, what must his family have thought? What has happened to you, Eponidas? You've lost your mind. This guy was crucified 30 years ago, and now you want to be a follower of this little band of foolish people. What are you thinking? Or maybe they were just picking up stones and throwing throwing them at him. Have you ever been an Eponidas? You know, there always has to be the first one who steps out for Jesus. Maybe you were the first Christian in your family. Maybe you were the first Christian in your, or only Christian, in your place of work. It can be very lonely. It's hard to be a trailblazer. There there are things coming at you from all sides. It's hard to be an Eponitas. He was no wimp. I mean, as we get to know these people here in the early church of Rome, these were amazing people. We know that one of our staff members, uh, Ryan Palmer, who heads up our student ministries, part of his testimony is he was the first Eponidas in his family. He was the first one to come to Christ. And his witness was so strong, they'd have Bible study, and his parents would be watching all these kids come and have Bible study. He was, a, you know, just a young guy. And, and his, his student, his leader would come in and they, mom and dad, they eventually came to Christ. Brothers and sisters, they eventually came to Christ. He was the first Eponidas in his family. Paul says, and then, then there's Mary. Greet Mary, who worked really hard for you. Now, honestly, we have no idea who Mary is. Mary, Mary's Mary. Mary's a very common name. How many of you are named Mary? I mean, it was a very common Jewish name. We don't know exactly who this Mary was, but we do know that Paul said she worked very hard for you. Now, I want you to notice, if you haven't picked up on it yet, there really are no wimpos here in this early church. There are no couch potatoes. The Pareto principle hadn't been invented yet. 20% of the people didn't do 80% of the work. Everyone gave their all for the cause of Christ to the point that they were willing to lay down their life. Then there's this interesting duo, Andronicus and Junius. Who are they? They don't quite know. They do know a couple things about them. They were relatives of Paul, but they're not quite sure if the name is Junius or Junia, because if it's Junia, it's a woman, and if it's Junius, it's a man. Now, if there were two men, they were somehow relatives of Paul, Paul says they were outstanding among the apostles. Wow, and they were Christians before Paul became a Christian. Now, imagine that for a moment. These relatives were believers. Paul was Saul, and he was persecuting the church and taking them to jail and killing them. Imagine how you'd feel about that. Our our cousin or our relative is murdering people of our faith. 
they're praying like crazy for them. Now, the funny thing is, they must have gotten quite a laugh because they all eventually wound up in jail together. Because their prayers were answered, Saul becomes Paul, and he becomes the most ardent evangelist in the church. And then eventually, Paul and Andronicus and Junius go to jail together for the Lord. I mean, they must have laughed about that one. Paul says they were outstanding among the apostles. Scholars just don't know what to do with that phrase because apostles is only used for the 12 who are with Jesus, right? So are they, were they actually, were they around when Jesus was around? Did they know Jesus during that time? Or did he just use that phrase as, a, as meaning the ones who were sent out? Not sure. Scholars don't really know. But they're obviously ones that you would want on your team for Christ. You couldn't be a Christian in the early church at Rome and go unnoticed. You couldn't come to worship and blend in. There was no such a thing. You kind of had to wonder, well, how was this letter even read to these people? They had house churches. Paul greets three house churches, it says. They had to come together and meet in one place to hear the reading of the letter to the Romans. You know, can you imagine being one of those persons on that list? Paul's reading through this, what we've now studied over a year's time is a heavy theological treatise. And then all of a sudden, at the end of the letter, I hear my name. The Apostle Paul greets me. How much encouragement that must have given those first believers to hear that Paul cared enough to acknowledge them. And he acknowledges these next ones that we really don't know anything about, the nameless ones. Those who belong to the household of Aristobulus and those who belong to the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Now, we can't absolutely be 100% sure on this, but we, scholars believe that Aristobulus was the grandson of Herod the Great who lived in Rome. And he, had a fan, he, had a, he was wealthy and he had servants and some of those servants were Christians. When Aristobulus died, the servants and the slaves went to the emperor, who was at first Claudius, and then it was Nero. So that means that in the, in the early church, there were Christians in the household, of the, in the royal household, Claudius and then Nero. And they're nameless. You know, it's funny, we... We're very careful when we print out missionary letters about not mentioning people by name that are in countries that are, that are dicey. Um, and yet Paul, Paul mentions in one letter, he, he mentions those who are in the household of these different people, and he knows that they're in great danger. I would imagine that being a Christian in the time of Nero would have been like being a Jew in Nazi Germany in the 30s and 40s. Your life was in danger. Narcissus was purportedly a former slave, and he was a, a, a smart guy. He ended up being the personal secretary of Emperor Claudius. If you wanted to get any kind of correspondence to Claudius, you had to go through Narcissus, which means that he wasn't a Christian, and it means that he accepted a lot of graft in order to get your letter to the king, the emperor. So he was very wealthy. But it says here, Paul says, greet those who are a part of the household of Narcissus, 
who are in the Lord. So in the seat of power in Rome, there were Christians in those, in those first years after Christ was crucified. And then a little, little bit later on, it says greet Tryphena and Tryphosa. This is kind of cute. They were sisters. Their names mean dainty and delicate. And they think that they may have been part of aristocracy, aristocratic family. They didn't have to work for a living. But Paul says they worked hard in the Lord. Greet them. Isn't that wonderful? We go on and we hear about Persisus. Persisus means Persian woman. What's a Persian woman doing in Rome? Most likely, she was from, she was from Rome. She was a refugee, brought there, sold as a slave. And we know that refugees are often the most open to the gospel. In fact, we as a denomination, EPC, we've recently sent missionaries, the McKays, to Germany to minister among the Syrian refugees who are there. Their ministry is one of hospitality. They have refugees into their home, into dinner. They just love on them because their lives are turned so upside down because of the political turmoil in their own country. We're sending people around the world so that they can care for refugees. Now, these are just only a few people that Paul mentions here in the early church. Why does Paul make such an effort to single them out? I think for two reasons. One is he wants to encourage them. How would you like to have been a slave in the household of Aristobulus or Narcissus? And know that your life was in danger. You, you, you didn't know how long you had to live as a Christian being near the center of power in Rome. How encouraging it must have been to hear your name mentioned by the apostle of the early church. And same thing with Priscilla and Aquila, who were probably prosperous people. They had homes. They had homes in Corinth, home in Ephesus. And they, were, they helped bring in the early church. How, how encouraging it must have been to have your name written on that list. But there's another reason I think the Apostle Paul puts all those people there. And he wants, to, he wants to tell them again how important that fellowship is. That interconnectedness of relationship. Like those redwoods that we talked about earlier in the service here today. That go out and they're strong. They can't be knocked down because the roots are so interconnected with each other. That holds them up during times of storm, times of conflict, during times of persecution. And so maybe this morning, uh, we're, we're going to look here this morning at a group of, of women who recognize their need to be strongly interconnected with other women so that they could share areas of their lives that were um, not not being transformed in the way that they would like to see in Christ. And so, give your attention here to this, uh, this group of people that are sharing today. A step study takes you through the 12-step process, which mirrors the, the eight principles, which are the Beatitudes that Jesus um, shared with us about. So, it's going through a process in a community, um, ranging from step one to step 12. Step one is, you know, getting out of denial. And step 12 is after you've gone through this full experience, what you're going to do with what you've learned and how are you going to pay that forward. I joined a step study um, because of compulsive behaviors 
that had gone on for decades and I just wanted to find answers to um, why I kept turning to these things instead of turning to the Lord. Um, I struggled with a lot of fear and anxiety and um, I just felt stuck and I was trapped by this notion that that God's love was for everyone but for me that um, somehow I wasn't acceptable. I first heard about step studies when I was in uh, California at the Saddleback Church for the Celebrate Recovery uh, Summit. And I was intrigued with the concept of a step study. Um, when I got back, I started asking around about it um, from some of my sisters. I actually had um, referred patients to you know, Celebrate Recovery in the past, so it was a little bit of an experiment too for myself just to see if um, this was as powerful of a um, experience as I had heard that it was. You know, we all have things that we uh, deal with in lives. We all have hurts. And even if they, in your world, they might feel tiny. Um, it's amazing when you actually unpack these hurts and find out that um, they actually affect your whole life. I joined a step study to find relief for some very deep pain and some very deep wounds and I really needed healing in some deep places in my heart. I had to go back to some really painful um, places from my past, some really dark memories, and um, in the context of the step study, I was able to do that, and for the first time, find Jesus in those dark places. It's a, it's a safe group. You know you're in a, in a confidential group, and, and I can share things in this group that I might not share with anyone else, and that's okay. Um, it says in the book of James to, uh, to confess to one another, to pray for one another, and, and you will be healed. And I think that that really embodies what happened in our step study. It was super hard at first. Um, and I got to admit, I, I sometimes didn't want to go because I knew I was going to have to deal with some of the things that um, hurt me. Um, but what was amazing is uh, wanting to come because of this group of women that I was able to uh, become really close with. I ended up sharing things in that group because I felt so safe that I've never shared with probably anyone in my life other than God. So it was really helpful to experience that kind of practice vulnerability. And I have found that that has been spilling over into the rest of my life. I didn't really trust people. That was part of the pain that I was struggling with. And so being in a step study of women who are all sharing deeply, you start to share deeply. So I got to find the good, the bad, and the ugly in myself, but I didn't have to do it alone. The process with these other step study sisters was really sweet. We all have uh, hurts, habits, and hangups that we tend to just carry around our necks like millstones. I experienced through the step study process um, freedom. It's miraculous, that's all I can say. I feel like it's CrossFit for your spiritual life. You know, if you're physically oriented and you're an athlete, then, you know, CrossFit becomes like the you know, most intense experience that you can have maybe for, for some folks. Well, the 12 step study is something you commit to for a really long time. And there's a lot of the pieces of our spiritual um, formation and discipleship that happens as, as a part of it. I would encourage anyone to join a step study who wants to experience for themselves um, the power of God's freedom and the power of God's healing and the power of God's love.
that great? I appreciate, appreciate all the women who did that. That was really terrific. Um, we're going to take an offering now. And some of you may be feeling a need for greater interconnectedness of relationship here at Chapel Hill. And we have them at Life Group. You may want to put on your Connect card that you'd like to be part of a Life Group. Uh, you may want to join a step study. We have uh, some new step studies that are going right now for men and women. If you'd like to join one this summer or wait until the fall. Um, it, it's a place where you can get healed in those deep places of your life, really, that, uh, that have maybe been bothering you for a long time and you really don't know what to do about it. So there is something you can do about it, and we encourage you to, to uh, check it out. Um, during our offering, pray here in just a moment, we're going to have something that we do at Celebrate Recovery called a cardboard testimony. And these will be men and women who come up and they have... Uh, a before and after experience, what their life was before recovery and what it was like after recovery. This didn't happen overnight. Many of these folks have been in Celebrate Recovery and in counseling for many years, but there's been huge transformation that's happened in their life in Jesus. So we pray that you would enjoy that as, as, they, as they share their life with you. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the first uh, believers in Rome. We thank you, Father, for their commitment to you, for giving their lives to you. We thank you for the interconnectedness of the church that they had to rely on you and the power of your Holy Spirit to stand up in the midst of difficult situations. We're no different today, Lord. We need one another in order to be strong in you. And so, Father, if there's anybody here this morning that needs to be uh, interconnected at a deeper level here at Chapel Hill, either in a life group or a step study, Father, we pray that you'd move on their heart, give them courage, and help them to take the steps necessary for more healing and recovery. Lord, bless this offering now as, as, uh, as we receive it. We pray that, Lord, you would use it for the growth of your church worldwide. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.